Good morning. I'm Shelly Mosteller. I'm the creative arts pastor, which means I'm a little extra sometimes. This is one of those times, all right? So give me a minute. But hey, listen, I want to go back to one thing real quick because this is our last week with our memory verse for this month. We memorize a verse together each, each month. This is our last week with Romans 15, 13. So can we please say this together? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want to see if y'all were going to finish that. Okay. Let's take a talk about the overflow with hope thing. Um, okay, this week, a friend of mine, we went to the C.C. Winans concert in Indianapolis. And first off, I got this preaching shirt. And also, I think church girl should be my superhero name. I don't know what my powers would be, but I got that. But listen, it was amazing to be in this room that was so filled with hope. And I know that I probably will never see most of the people there, again, this side of heaven, but I will see them again. And how we have brothers and sisters everywhere. We are so connected, and we were all in one accord and worshiping Jesus, and it was amazing. So I'm fired up today, so y'all better get ready. All right, but listen, we are in week two of our follow series, which is all about defining discipleship. Now, discipleship is a very churchy word, so we are going to take some time and unpack that. And last week, Scott started us out by giving us, like, a big picture, picture look, um, like a, a good foundation. And we learned that a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by him, and is on mission with him. He talked about how discipleship is a lifelong process. It's not just like one and done, that we need to be discipled, and we need to disciple someone else. So for myself, it helps if I think about if I have a step-ahead girl and a shoulder-to-shoulder girl and a over-my-shoulder girl. Because it is a lifetime of a constant cycle of growth and leadership. And that's, that's where Jesus wants us. So I hope that you have taken just a little bit of time to think about some of that stuff this week. It's, it's big, big stuff to think about. So I hope you have. But Joel, our Connect pastor... He is steering uh, the teaching team on this series. Discipleship is a huge passion of his, so that makes sense. And for today, for this week, he asked me to look up what it meant to follow a rabbi back in Jesus' time. He said, Shelly, this is right up your alley because I'm a nerd. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want you to chase this down, follow it, see where it takes you, and then see what it could mean for us today. Y'all, it was like he gave me 
14 Christmas presents and a parade. My nerd heart was so happy. It was exploding. And so I grabbed my Bible, an atlas, 32 commentaries, the entire internet, and a bag of Rolos, and I jumped headlong into the first century Jewish educational system. And I know maybe that doesn't spark your fancy, but for me, I was like, ah! I was so excited. I learned so much. I wish I could tell you about it all, but I can't. But I am going to tell you about a little bit. And then I picked two of my favorite things that I wanted to share with you today. So we are going to geek out today, so I hope you're ready. But in order to geek out, you really have kind of got to understand the setting of where all this is happening. Where is Jesus growing up? Where is he choosing his disciples? And so I thought maybe this would help. Let's take a look. I've never been very excited about maps, especially the ones in the back of my Bible. It's just, they all look the same to me. But I learned some stuff while studying for this series kind of changed my mind. Take a look. This is the Galilee region, where Jesus grew up and spent most of his ministry. His hometown was Nazareth. Many of his teachings and miracles happened around the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a big lake, a little smaller than Lake Cumberland, if that helps. The region was small, but don't let that fool you. Trade routes crisscrossed the area. Three miles north of Nazareth was Sepphoris, the capital city, with colonnaded streets, theaters, culture, fancy. The region was dotted with farms and vineyards. The Sea of Galilee had a vital fishing industry. Galileans also exported pottery. But that's not all. Here's the big thing. Galilee was also full of Bible nerds. For real, and this is important, Jewish people lived in the regions all around Galilee, but so did a lot of other people with differing cultures and religions. Galilee had the highest number of Jewish people living in one place, like their own little island. Jesus grew up in the middle of all that. That's mind-blowing. What better place for Jesus to start his ministry and choose his disciples than a place that knew and worshiped his father as the one true God? You gotta admit, that's pretty cool for a map. All right, so you guys have geeked out level one. All right, now you have kind of a feeling of where this was happening. So you can imagine in this little island of Bible nerds, Galileans took scripture very seriously. They were not messing around. They built their lives and communities around it. There were about 204 villages in that little region, that little purple area. And the rule of thumb was that for every 25 kids, you had to have a school, which was held in the local synagogue. And the community would come together and they would hire a teacher who was called a rabbi. Now, when we think of a rabbi today, we, we think of like a priest, right? But that is not the way it was in the first century. Really, rabbi was a term of respect. 
It was often used to address teachers. You could say rabbi or master. So in those days, a rabbi was pretty much a school teacher. And then when the kids turned five or six years old, they would start Beit Sefer, which translates to house of the book. It was like grade school. And they focused on learning how to read and write using, as their curriculum, the Torah. And that's the first five books of the Old Testament. And rabbis taught with repetition, recitation, tons and tons of memorization. Scripture was in every part of their lives. Listen to this. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Those were not just words to them. They lived it out. And by the, by the time first century Jewish kids were about 10, many of them had the entire Torah memorized. By the time I was 10, I, I'm not even 100% sure if I knew my multiplication tables, you know? And they were on it. And then around 12 or 13, most of the kids would be finished with school. And then the girls stayed home, and they helped their families at home, and they learned how to manage a household, while the boys started learning a family trade. And at that age also, like 12, 13, the boys also participated in a special Passover celebration at the temple in Jerusalem. So that's kind of where we get our bar mitzvah idea. Now, as teenagers, the very, very top students would continue working in their trade because they all wanted to learn. Everybody has a job, but they would also go to Bet Midrash, which translates to house of study. It was kind of like high school and study hall squished together, but the cool thing is that adults would come and join them, and they would all just study together. And they studied the Torah. They studied the oral Torah, which is a collection of important rabbis' thoughts and sayings. And they studied the rest of the Old Testament. And then after Beit Midrash, a few elite students, just a very, very few, would ask to continue studying with a rabbi. And at that point, they weren't called students anymore. They were called Talmudim, which translates to disciples. I'm going to give you a minute. I just threw a lot at you. Are y'all okay? Because I think this next part, for me, I try to, like, how can I explain this? I think this next part to me is easier to explain using <clears throat> a uh, cheeseburger. Oh, wait, I got these all in up backwards and upside down. I told y'all it was going to be extra. So you've been forewarned. Give me just a sec. Um, so let's say that you are 
fancy pants, um, elite, smarty pants student. You guys, you're all the smarty pants students. You're the best of the best, all right? So this is how it would go for you. First, you would take the yoke of the Torah. Now this means that you are choosing to live by the Torah. You are choosing to build your entire life around the Torah. And you know what Torah is by now, right? You know. It's for, okay. All right. So, you know the first five books. Here it is. The Torah. Torah is everything. Now you know. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Okay. So, you've chosen to live by this. You've learned this. You know this inside and out because <clears throat> you're a smarty pants student. So, the next thing you got to learn is you take the oral Torah. Now, like I said, this is a collection of all the rabbis, really, really important ones, what they thought. This is like sayings, um, proverbs that they would say, parables, stories that they would make up. And so it's like, yeah, a lot of good stuff. But this, this is also where they can nickel and dime you to death. This is where things can get heavy. Because if the Torah says you can't work on the Sabbath, then in the oral Torah, this is where the rabbis would have a chance to say, well, here's what that means. This means you can't carry that bucket of water across the room. And then another rabbi says, well, I think you can carry the bucket of water if it's only half full of water. Well, another rabbi says, you can't carry the bucket of water unless it's empty and there's a mouse in it or something. I mean, they can, like, make up. This is where they have their own thoughts and opinions. So you got all this, and then you add the prophets because you guys are so smart. You're just going to keep learning. And this is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, all, you know, the prophets, okay? So you're going to learn about the prophets, and then anything that's not in the Torah or the prophets in the Bible is in the writings. That's all the rest of the stuff. Okay? So here you, you've gone all the way through school. You know this stuff. You are good. You are smarty pants. And you're like, this is a lot. But this is not enough. I want more. I want to totally geek out. I'm fully into this. So here's what you do. You go and you find a rabbi that you really respect. You find a rabbi who is, you, you don't just like him. You want to be like him. You want to be just like this guy. And you ask this rabbi if you can follow him. And then... Let me tell you, that rabbi, he's going to put you to the test, okay? He's going to question you. He is going to challenge you. He is going to push you because he needs to see, he needs to know if you have the potential. If you have the potential to be like him, if you have the capacity to understand his teachings and to carry that out into the world. So he puts you through all these paces, and then because you are so brilliant, he says, yes. He says, yes, you may follow me. And so if he says yes, then you 
take on the yoke of, whoops, guys, it's harder than it looks. Okay. You take on the yoke of rabbi fill in the blank with your guy's name. Okay? So maybe you take on the yoke of rabbi Gary. I don't know. But you take on this guy's yoke. And that means that you are no longer his student. You are his disciple. And this yoke, <laughs> y'all, it is a full-time commitment. Your rabbi, he has access to every part of your life, and I mean every part. Nothing is off limits. Everything is a potential teaching opportunity. You, you better know your scripture because your life has just now become a continual pop quiz, like for real. And there is no syllabus. There is no agenda. There is no calendar. It is whatever your rabbi says. You, you are going to go. You're going to leave home for long stretches of time. And you will have no idea where you're going. You will not know what you're going to do when you get there. And you also won't know when you're going back home. But none of that is going to matter to you. Because you signed up for this. That's what you signed up for. And you know why? Because you trust your rabbi. You trust him. You trust him. You believe in him. And you, you know that your job is to follow, to watch, to listen, to discuss, and eventually imitate. And then around your early 30s, you smarty pants, best of the best, should be ready for your rabbi to release you to become a rabbi. And you will become a rabbi, and then you will have your own disciples, and it is the wonderful, beautiful circle of learning. And now you know. Do you feel? Hmm. All right. So what about Jesus? Like, did he, did he do all this stuff? Like, where does he fit in with all this stuff? We need to know, right? Or we want to know? Okay, well, we don't know much about Jesus' early years. But let's look at what we do know. We know from his genealogy that he was Jewish. That was an easy one. We read about him being dedicated in the temple as a baby. We know his parents followed Jewish traditions. We know he grew up in the land of Bible nerds. We know what it was like there. We don't know about his education, but it's probably, with all those things we do know, it's probably safe to assume he at least went to grade school, okay, with all the other kids. We do get one tiny glimpse of him when he was 12 at his special coming-of-age Passover in Jerusalem. His parents went to the temple every year, for Passover, but this was when he was 12, so this is a special one, remember? That's when you graduate from grade, grade school, you're going to move on. So they find him there, and this is what happened. Three days later, they, this is his parents, finally discovered him, Jesus, in the temple. Finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions all who heard him 
were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So Jesus, this 12-year-old kid, spent three days wowing the best of the best in the temple. And this is when everybody would have been there. It's a big deal. He certainly sounds like he had the potential to be an elite smarty pants student, does he? But we don't know if he was. All we know is Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Well, isn't that delightfully vague? <laughs> but that's all we get. We do know, we, we learned from the, um, he learned a family trade. We know that he learned his family's trade because Mark wrote about this incident when Jesus was teaching in his hometown and the people said, then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. Okay, so we know. We know he's really smart. We know he's a carpenter. We don't know if he went all the way through school. We don't know any of that. We don't get details, but maybe not. Listen to this. Then midway through the festival... This is when he's grown up, Jesus. Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. It's like, Jesus, you don't have any credentials. Hmm. But the fact is, Jesus behaved like a rabbi. He used all the traditional rabbinical teaching techniques. He taught in synagogues and in temple. He had his own disciples. People treated him like a rabbi. Almost everyone called him rabbi, teacher, master. Go back and look. Even people who didn't follow him. So if you go back and you look at everything that Jesus said and did, and go do it because it's like so cool, you see that he leads and he teaches like a rabbi. But it's confusing because people can't figure him out. It's like, wait a minute. How can he know and understand all of this? when he is missing his top bun. Well, it's the top bun. Mm-hmm. Mm -mm -mm. And now we have come to mind-blowing thing number one, the special sauce, okay? Now, from what I understand, most rabbis, they, they taught, they, they stuck to the same burger, all right? They learned all the ingredients, and then they turned around and they taught their disciples the same ingredients. And so they just kept making the same burger over and over again. But every once in a while, a special kind of rabbi came along. And this rabbi would be so wise and so amazing, he was said to have had smikah. And we don't really have a word for it. Sometimes English just lets us down. We translate it to authority, 
But even that doesn't, it just doesn't quite get it because um, it, it just doesn't. So I'm going to call it the special sauce because it fits with our hamburger analogy. Okay, so if you have the special sauce, you don't have to just stick to the same burger anymore. If you have the special sauce, you get to add your own ingredients. And so you, this is the sauce, all right? I've got to try my best. All right, so you get to add your own ingredients. And you get to say your own new interpretations of the Torah. And you also get to be a judge and determine if everybody else around you is measuring up. It's very rare, and it's a really, really big deal. So you're not repeating Rabbi so-and-so anymore. You're voicing your own opinion, and you're a judge. Super-duper special. You guys, I had never heard of this. And this completely blew my mind. When I learned about the special sauce, immediately my brain, because I'm a Bible nerd, it just starts boom, 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 flashing back to all those times that I know that people have said, Jesus has got that thing. Listen, this is just a few. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Hmm. Interesting. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There, too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. Now, I have always read those <clears throat> and thought, okay, I, I see. They're, they're just like, oh, that Jesus, he's the real deal, you know, or he's different, or wow, he's got, you know, he seems to have a lot of power or something. But after learning about this, I'm thinking maybe they're saying that Jesus, he has the special sauce. He sure acts like he does. Jesus unfolds scripture for all of these Bible nerds. Remember, they know it inside and out. And he says, this is what it means. Not this is what Rabbi so-and-so thinks it means. Not even this is what I think it might mean. He says, this is what it means. Also, God is my father, so I know what I'm talking about, okay? Like, he, he, he doesn't, he, he knows how the word of God should be lived out because he is the word of God, okay? And he does not need the yoke of rabbi fill in the blank because he has his own yoke. He has his own yoke. Then Jesus said, 
come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I think that is everybody, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Y'all have read that scripture for 50-some-odd years, and when I learned this and saw this, I am sitting there with atlases all around, and I am weeping over my Rolos because I'm just thinking, that, that yoke, that's what he's talking about. It's not, oh, just work side by side with me, soldier on. It's, I'm going to take all of this new ideas. I love Jesus more now than I did before I started learning about the ancient Jewish first century educational system. And I tell you, I did not expect that to happen, but it happened because Jesus is the good teacher. He is the perfect rabbi. He's the one with all the special sauce. And he says, come to me, all, all of you. This is not just for the elite, smarty pants, best of the best. This is for everyone. Now, Jesus wanted the Jewish people to understand it first. And that makes sense because who's better? I mean, wouldn't the island of Bible nerds, the people who loved God and treasured his word above all else, be the perfect people to carry his yoke out into the world? Jesus was right where he needed to be. And he chose those disciples. Listen, the way he chose his disciples is a big deal. It's such a big deal. It brings us to what we're wrapping up with today. It's mind-blowing thing. Number two, it's a schoolyard pick. Because here's the thing. These exceptional rabbis, they did not have the students come to them. They hand-picked their disciples. That's how you knew. Who's the, who's the big dog, right? And that makes sense, doesn't it? If you are a top-tier rabbi, you're going to pick the top-tier students, the ones who score 1,600 on the SAT, the best of the best. You get to be choosy. So here is Jesus with this special sauce. Everybody can see it. Everybody knows it. He, he can afford to be choosy. Now remember, he's supposed to choose students who have the potential to be like him, with the capacity to understand his teachings and pass them on to others. Those are the people, okay, so of all the Bible nerds he could choose from, he does this weird kind of schoolyard pick. It's like, imagine Jesus is in the gym, and he's, he's choosing his team, and he says, kid, Sitting up against the wall with the inhaler. You. Yeah. Right here. We're drama kid. Drama kid. Over here. Pay attention. You. Uh, yes. Just bring your friends with you. You. Yes. Yes. 
kid hiding under the bleachers, trying not to make eye contact. I see you. Come on. It's okay. Come on. Come here. Yeah. This, this is my team. Jesus didn't choose the top tier best of the best, but he chose correctly. He chose the people who had the capacity to believe in him and his new ideas. And then he took care of the rest. They took his yoke with all his special sauce, new teachings. They chose to follow him. He empowered them with the Holy Spirit, and they changed the world. We are sitting here today. You are watching online today because this group, that, those group, that first disciples, they ventured off the island of Bible nerds, and they took his message, they took his yoke to the rest of the world. So here's the thing. None of us are the best of the best. We just aren't. But Jesus chose us. He told his followers, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. We're not top tier. We're not best of the best. But Jesus sees potential in us. If we have the capacity to believe and choose to take on his yoke, he empowers us. His ways become our ways. He, he fills us with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us learn how to follow him and teach others about him. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by him, and is on mission with him. We don't get to pick and choose which of those we get to do. It's all of them. And we may not know where we're going. We may not know what we're going to do when we get there, but it does not matter. Do you know why? Because we trust the rabbi. We believe in Jesus, we trust him, so we can follow him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for sending your son just the way you did. I don't know if it's because of this nerd heart you put in me, but Father, I love the fact that Jesus didn't come as some political bigwig or a military general or a celebrity. He just came as a teacher. And the fact that you became a human to teach us how to be a good one is so beautiful. Father, please help us have the capacity to believe. Let us choose your yoke and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.